everyone, and welcome to another episode of Chillin' in the State House. I am Andrew Ball, one half of the Topeka Capital Journal State House team, and I'm missing my other half. He is off. yeah, he's uh, he's got a new better half. He does, and you know, I'm I'm a, I'm okay with that. I you know, I've I've done my mourning period, and I've let him go. Jason Tidd is on a beach somewhere Actually, in Mexico. Actually, it's Jason Alatid now, right? That's true. He has changed his last name to reflect uh, it's a portmanteau with his, him and his wife's last name. Uh, Jason will be back, I think, next week. Jason, I really hope you're not listening to this until you get back to the U.S. Go sit on a beach somewhere. Yes, yes. But uh, we have... We're always so happy to have you, John. John Hanna, the Associated thank Press. Thank you, thank you, thank you. And uh, he's helping to make sure that we can run down what was actually a surprisingly uh, eventful week in Kansas political governmental news. Yeah, actually, and it was pretty interesting. I'll start by saying we're going to discuss, this is in honor of your first podcast partner, Titus Wu, the most chill subject <laughs> ever, ever Nothing more chill than abortion. Well, that and was, that was the that was the subject of your first was. podcast, wasn't it? And you know, it was kind of a harbinger of things to come because we've talked about abortion so many times in the history of this podcast. It's unavoidable. It's a it's a it is one of the biggest issues, but it is funny because yeah, you really cannot imagine a less chill subject matter. Yes. Anyway, we're thinking of you, Titus. Hope, yes, hope we, are. Well. we are. We um, are. Anyway, uh, as listeners may remember, last year in August, voters decisively rejected a proposed constitutional amendment known by supporters as value them both. And if you don't remember this, I would seek medical attention because it's a pretty big deal. (laughs) Yes. But anyway, the amendment would have allowed the legislature to greatly restrict or ban abortion. It would have overturned the 2019 decision in a case known as Hody's Nauser. Those uh, were father-daughter abortion providers in the Kansas City area. Uh, Dr. Hody's has since retired, but Dr. Nauser is still practicing medicine and running the clinic there. Anyway, uh, they sued, and the Kansas Supreme Court issued a ruling that said access to abortion is a matter of bodily autonomy and a fundamental right under the state's Bill of Rights. And the constitutional amendment that was rejected last August would have changed that. It would have declared that the state constitution does not grant a right to an abortion. So, fast forward to January, February, and March, legislators uh, eventually enact a law uh, that says if you are an abortion provider uh, and you're providing medication abortions, typically a two-pill regimen, you are required to tell patients that a medication abortion can be stopped or in the language of the both sides reversed. Reversal is the word they use. Which is disputed. Yes, the regimen is disputed, but you are required to tell them that it can be stopped using this regimen, which involves doses of progesterone, which doctors have used for quite some time to stop miscarriages. Here we'll note that I I think disputed is, is 
is a good way to put it. The 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 uh, abortion rights people would say it's completely unproven and possibly dangerous, and that is the stance taken by both. I believe the American Medical Association and the uh, American College of Obstetricians and Gynecologists, known as ACOG. Um, anyway, and and it should be noted, and this will become relevant in a, in a couple minutes. But they amended an existing law, which supporters called it's the Women's Right to Know Act. It's a series of requirements for what abortion providers must tell patients in writing. And this information must be provided to the patients at least 24 hours in advance of the abortion. Creating, in effect, a 24-hour waiting period. Exactly. And and the forms must be printed. This is your favorite part, isn't it? Yes. 12-point uh, times New Roman type. Uh, that is... Uh, that is a measurement of type uh, 70, 72 points is inch high type, um, which is a huge headline. Um, anyway, they picked the, they picked this specific font type. The argument was uh, among the abortion opponents was that that is the most common typeface on computers and whatnot. I personally am not a fan of Times New Roman. That's an ex- that is a purely aesthetic. Are you a Comic Sans man? Not no, not really. I just uh, Ariel and Calibri are my. I do like Ariel. That is a good choice. If I'm doing religious things, I generally sometimes go with Papyrus to make it seem like you are actually yes that we're talking you know. about an ancient text. I I do like to play with. Uh, type fonts sometimes but the the goal was they didn't want the they didn't want the information handed out in very difficult to decipher old gothic or curly q or whatnot that was or the one with like the little symbols yeah that would probably not gone over wingdings i believe that one's called (laughs) if i'm remembering correctly but anyway the goal the idea was you wanted this stuff printed in a clear, legible way so that people could use it. Now, of course, um, there was a little mockery from the abortion rights side about the specificity of this requirement, because as long as the type is legible, what difference does it make what kind of type it is? That's the argument anyway. Um, that's a 2017 requirement, by the way. Anyway, this law got, we, we kind of got off in a, Back to the present day. Back to the present day. Um, the legislature passed this bill, the abortion medication reversal bill. The governor, uh, Laura Kelly, who is a strong supporter of abortion rights, vetoed it. The legislature, the Republican-controlled legislature, overrode her veto, and this law is set to take effect July 1st, along with... The other abortion bill, the one that deals with live births that occur um, during abortion procedures, the so-called Born Alive Infants Protection Act. Anyway, what we got this week was a lawsuit filed by the business, still Hodes and Nauser, but it's 
Dr. Nauser, another doctor who works with her, and also the clinic operated by Planned Parenthood Great Plains in the Kansas City area. Planned Parenthood operates three clinics in Kansas, one in Overland Park, one in KCK, and one in Wichita. Anyway, they are suing. What's interesting about this lawsuit is it does take on the new law, the abortion medication reversal law. But what's interesting about it is the breadth of the lawsuit. It is going after the entire right, so-called Right to Know Act. Yeah, and it was interesting talking with Emily Wales, who is the, uh, the head of Planned Parenthood of the Great Plains. She mentioned that, you know, they obviously have never been thrilled with the idea of the 24-hour waiting period, but that this has really become, in their words, burdensome since uh, after the Dobbs decision, which is almost exactly one year ago, yes. a couple weeks, uh, which has seen many more patients coming from out of state. I mean, we had a lot of out-of-state patients before, but even more from Oklahoma, Texas, right. Arkansas, in, in, even the Deep South. Yeah, in the past the great, great bulk of the out-of-state patients were from Missouri. And so in the, in the when you looked at the statistics um, for abortions performed in Kansas, roughly half were for patients who were from out-of-state, but most of those were Missouri because, of course, there were no uh, clinics providing abortions in the Kansas City area on the Missouri side. And and but what we we suspect we have not seen the 2022 statistics yet, which the and, anti-abortion yeah Kansas for Life put out a statement saying of. where are they? Um, it's June and normally these things are released in late March or early April. But the suspicion is is that what those statistics will show is first a big jump in the number of abortions performed in Kansas. And that the difference possibly is going to be mostly or all patients from out of state. We don't. It, it is also possible. Anything is possible. We don't have the numbers right. yet. All the but, patients could be coming from Guam, for all we know. Well, yeah, it's it's likely that what we'll see are, are jumps in numbers from Texas and Louisiana and Oklahoma and Missouri and and some other places, in, as you mentioned, in the South or the Midwest, Iowa, maybe. Um, and and when you have that, I mean, that 24-hour waiting period is not just a, you know, you might have to take the next morning off work to drive another hour across the Kansas City metro. It is, you have to figure, rearrange your child care, you have to... You're talking about a two-day stay in Kansas. Right. Hotel accommodations, I mean... Uh, and and yeah. the other thing is is that it's not even guaranteed given the volume of patients that the clinics are now seeing from various different places and the availability of doctors to do the procedures it's not even guaranteed that if you see a doctor today that you can get in for the procedure tomorrow in other words they might be booked up tomorrow and you might have to wait a couple more days and what do you do if you've driven from, let's say, San Antonio, Texas to get to Wichita, what do you do if you have to wait another two days? It's almost not worth it to go back to San Antonio. And these are the kind of practical issues that abortion rights advocates have discussed with us for years and years and years about what the problem with the 24-hour waiting period is or as the problem they see with the 
24-hour waiting period. The supporters, the anti-abortion group, say the 24-hour waiting period, first of all, gives a, a, a patient, a woman, uh, enough time to look over what is fairly extensive material. And some of which abortion rights groups and the abortion yeah, they're, say they're parts, is not medically accurate. Right. Um, but the idea is... The, the the idea here is that they want to slow down the time between you make the initial decision to have an abortion to when the procedure occurs so that you have you have opportunities to rethink what you're doing or maybe interface <laughs> with a um anti-abortion sure the the, the 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 thought the general thought amongst um <coughs> Uh, abortion opponents that I've talked to over the years is that women are, if you have an unwanted pregnancy, you're scared, you don't know what to do. Um, you may have people suggesting or even pushing you to get an abortion. And, you know, the, the argument is the, the possibility is that you will make a decision very quickly and the only information you might get is from the abortion provider and their argument is what we're trying to do here is give you a sense of more options and and what you know let you want to understand everything all your options and what services are out there now the abortion rights folks say no they just want to trick you into not having an abortion they want to shame you and this is one of the allegations in the lawsuit that all of this is designed to shame patients who want to have an abortion and essentially tell them it's a bad immoral thing and they shouldn't do it and and keep hitting on that message until uh, the the patient, the woman says, uh, okay, no, I won't, I can't. Um, the abortion rights people will say that by the time their patients get to the clinic, they they are pretty set in their decision. They have made their decision between them and their doctor. Particularly if you're coming from out of state, I would Particularly imagine. if you're coming from out of state, and all of this is not only medically unnecessary, but from a policy standpoint, unnecessary, because it's not going to change anybody's minds. And so they suspect it's designed to maybe delay things long enough that, you know, the doctor has to say, well, you're at 22 weeks, it's not legal to do this anymore. And um, so that is, that, that is kind of the issue. The argument in the lawsuit is, is that over the years, Kansas has created what they call um, a biased counseling scheme. And they uppercased by the, 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 they gave it a formal title in the lawsuit. And it says that scheme has become, in their words, increasingly absurd and invasive. The 24-hour waiting period has been in state law, I think, since 1997. So that's more than 25 years. And some of the material that doctors are required to tell patients have been in there quite a while. The font requirement was 2017. There are other requirements in that law that are between 1997 and 2017. <clears throat> so... 
Um, the, the, the interesting issue, if you're going before a judge asking for an injunction to put the enforcement of all of this on hold, you know, one of the things, one of the key things a judge has to consider in a case like that is does an order, a, a restraining order, change the status quo? And if it does, it kind of argues against doing it doesn't preclude it, but it's a factor they consider. So I imagine one of the questions that the attorneys for the providers might face is, well, what about the fact that some parts of this have been enforced for going on 26, 27 years? Um, you know, there's a question of why now, and you, you very much get the impression reading the lawsuit that this is about things accumulating to the point where they're they're not acceptable to the providers plus a dramatic change in context because of the dops decision well i think also kind of an interesting last point here is raised by anti-abortion activists during the amendment campaign was they said you know this amendment is not passed we will see more lawsuits from abortion clinics trying to strike down existing regulations, right. which was largely dismissed at the time. Though, I mean, I, I don't think abortion providers really ruled it out necessarily. They but. didn't. They didn't rule it out, but they they were like, no, no, no. We have reasonable restrictions on abortion. Um, and I should say, Emily Wales, in talking with her Planned Parenthood, said they're not planning any other challenges. They're not even planning on challenging the the so called born alive infant well, protection. Well, and, and that one would be a difficult one to to challenge in the sense that when we talked to providers before that passed, they said, "Well, this never happens." So how can you ask? You know, the question would be, "Well, you're here asking us to enjoin this law to prevent it from being enforced, but you've also said publicly this situation doesn't happen." So where's the, I mean the, sure. the question the natural question would be where's the harm? Well, and, and that also means no lawsuits over some of the other restrictions that have existed for some time. Parental notification, you know, some of those other you know, big even the twenty two week. Yeah, but the the parameters. implication, the very clear implication of the campaign, Andrew, was that stuff like the informed consent requirement like the 24-hour waiting period was going to stick around for a while. If you rejected the amendment, the thing that the rejecting the amendment kept from happening was a ban on abortion. Right. And, of course, the argument on the other side was, oh, no, 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 we're not planning to push for a total ban on abortion. We just want to preserve what we've got. Which I, you know legislators have well kind of said voters, they were, they were voters, going to voters who voted against the amendment simply didn't believe that they believed that eventually what well, i think comments and, from legislators after the fact reflect that the end game was some form of a ban oh, well that's been the rhetoric for 50 years we've i mean the rhetoric of the movement just in a broad twenty thousand foot view the rhetoric has been we want a society where abortion doesn't happen and it's actually, I think, the word they sometimes use is unthinkable. That's usually the language used to to talk to support and defend this incremental approach. The argument being, 
what we're doing is trying to turn public opinion little by little by highlighting all of these practices. And then eventually we'll get to the point where abortion has no uh, uh, public support. And then that's, you know, that's when we, you know, having ratcheted down the the instances in which abortion can occur, that's the point at which we can ban it, when it has no public support. The argument on the abortion right side is that is never going to happen, given what we've seen uh, both in society and, and where people are on that issue. There's never going to be a point where there is broad consensus that abortion should be banned. That's their argument. Real quick, and then I do want to move on to make sure we talk about Herman Jones but um, and, and the Highway Patrol, but <laughs> talk about a very, very major change of subject. But I do want to ask, John, I mean, do you think that the lawsuit in the broader context around it is coming very close to the point where maybe not next year, maybe not the year after, but they're helping anti-abortion groups build a case for another amendment vote and a redo, if you will, uh, to maybe try and uh, address some of these new developments? Well, uh, yeah, if the court, if the Kansas Supreme Court, you know, it's got the the thing on the, the ban on the second common second trimester procedure called by the law dismemberment abortion, there's that ban that's before the Kansas Supreme Court. There's a whole host uh, under one set of special health and safety regulations for abortion clinics. Which have never taken effect. Which have say. never taken effect. Then there's there's a case pending involving telemedicine and the ability to do telemedicine consultations. Well, you know, if you start striking, if you strike down the 24-hour waiting period, if the court does that and and gets rid of the the right to know law. Yeah, I think that's going to prompt a lot of discussion of trying another amendment and going back to voters and saying, essentially, we warned you that this type of thing would happen, and it has happened. Now, do you want to rethink your position? I don't know that a, a, a large group of moderate voters, moderate Republicans, and centrist voters would still go for an amendment that allows the legislature to ban abortion. Right. Uh, um, Just because they the, go back to the voters again does not mean the voters are going to And And that's, that's part the of the issue here of dealing with this um, because the amendment was an all or nothing thing. Either in the name of protecting existing restrictions, let's grant them that argument, you write an amendment that would allow a ban. Um, if Roe versus Wade fell, and guess what? Roe versus Wade fell. The other alternative is you, you have basically the Supreme Court decision saying abortion is a fundamental, access to abortion is a fundamental right. And you, if you don't amend the Constitution, you take the chance that eventually it could be a not have very many restrictions on it um how do you and if you write an amendment that's in the middle you make everyone mad you well not only that but you lock a policy in place that's very hard to change so if you're over here on the anti-abortion side and you want to do something more you've got to consider whether you have to amend the constitution again if you're on the abortion rights side and you want to open things up more, you've also got to consider whether you, 
you know, you you don't have the protections that you did under the Kansas Supreme Court decision, arguably. So it's and and you know, there's a there's a subtler argument about how much detail needs to be in the state constitution. The state constitution is supposed to be an arguably a broad charter spelling out how the government is going to work. It's it's not the statutes. And you know, there are states that are fairly minimalist with their constitutions. Kansas Kansas has a fairly short one, but you know, they're they're I mean, Texas has a monstrously long constitution, and it creates all kinds of issues for them. Everything's bigger in Texas, yeah, in the constitution, yeah. Um, and I, and I don't mean to change gears so quickly, but I, we did get another big piece of news this week. Yes. And that's uh, the link, another big piece of news. Um, and that is, as I alluded to earlier with the Kansas highway patrol, governor Laura Kelly was in search of a replacement for embattled, uh, superintendent Herman Jones, who is the subject of several different federal lawsuits. Yeah, moment. actually, I think there are two, there are at least two pending and, one that settled last mm-hmm. year. Um, and so, yes, um, she uh, tapped Eric Smith, who is a pretty high-ranking uh, drug enforcement administration official, the chief inspector, basically the head of the inspections di- division. There's you know the director of the DEA and then a deputy director, and then there are these division heads, and he was one of the division heads. He does have some pretty strong ties to Kansas. He's a native of Ellsworth in central Kansas. He went to Friends University in Wichita and uh, worked for the Sedgwick County Sheriff's Department there before joining the DEA, and I think he worked at the DEA's Kansas City Regional Office for a while. And we should say he was also vetted by Attorney General Chris Kobach, uh, searching for a new KBI director. That position ultimately went to Tony Mativi, but the sense that we get from even Republican lawmakers is this is a wise choice to replace Jones, who was, by the end of his tenure, by the time he retired in February, and that retirement is effective starting uh, today, okay. uh there was so much consternation with how Jones was running the agency that there was some talk of moving it under the attorney general yes. by Republicans, yes. which Jones's retirement kind of took care of. But, you know, this is, uh, I, I embattled as a favorite reporter word, but, but I mean, this is an agency that well, has had a lot of controversy associated well, let's, with let's, it lately. Let's tick through what we've got uh, on the broad policy operations level. You've got an allegation in a pending lawsuit, the trial was last month. The judge has got the case and is considering it. A practice known as the Kansas two-step. You stop the the trooper stops a motorist and talks to them about the traffic violation. Starts to walk back to the patrol car and then turns around to re-engage the motorist. The allegation is that the trooper is doing that to buy time, to give somebody a chance to dig up incriminating records or to get a drug-sniffing dog on scene. And in fact, one of the, there, there have been several lawsuits over some of this, and, and I think there have been two cases at least where the, the, the Highway Patrol has lost, that its practices have been... And we should say that this is 
also part of what what the ACLU, who is suing actually Jones in his in his, in his own capacity. I mean, his in capacity his, is leading. Yeah, his patrol, official but, capacity. But they're not suing the Highway Patrol. They're suing Herman Jones. Yeah. Um, they argue this this is kind of a a a a big picture problem with traffic stops where they're disproportionately stopping out of state plates, right. particularly from states where marijuana is legal. Right. With the, uh, you know, and, and the we, uh, we, upshot of getting we need to put this, weed or cash. We need to put this, though, in the larger context of issues with law enforcement generally. A lot of what you see about questions about racial bias in policing um, for example, starts with the question of whether people of color are more likely to get stopped for minor traffic infractions, and then those traffic infractions can turn into something more serious. So that's the, that's the first issue that out that's out there where the, where you know the traffic stop becomes the pretext for something else. The second thing that's out there is the issue of asset seizure and forfeiture, where somebody gets stopped. They, something's found, and then suddenly not only are they hauling somebody off to jail, they're seizing car, money, all of that. And in fact, they can seize assets when there's not a conviction. And and so there's an issue with that. And the money, you know, the, the police, police and sheriff's departments can get that money and use it for their operations. It's another source of funding. That's at least the argument from groups like the ACLU. And actually, you know, there's this odd alliance between liberal groups like the ACLU and then very conservative libertarian groups right? Uh, that have a lot of due process. So those two issues are out there and are kind of the backdrop for this specific issue with out-of-state motorists and the Kansas two-step. And so that, you know, that is out there. That's that's a, an operations question. And then you have the the lawsuits and the, the criticism that is more directly at Jones. And right. The, there, there and are... Personally, there's the, the allegations of sexual harassment. Right. There are five uh, female employees. There used to be a sixth, but she is no longer in the case. But there are five female employees who are suing him and uh, one of his deputies over, and there used to be other employees listed as defendants, but they're out of the case now, alleging sexual harassment. And basically they claim um, that he, that the highway patrol is a hostile work environment. And then also the the case you mentioned that was... uh settled what two majors who say they were retaliated against for trying to help these women right they the allegation was they were pushed out of the patrol one of them i think if i recall correctly felt pressure to resign and did the other one uh was demoted and fired they both said that was highly improper uh they filed this lawsuit and the result was a settlement that put them back in their jobs and gave them more than a year of back pay which i read in the capital journal you did actually yeah um and and also i mean there have been just general criticisms about and this i uh, probably is part of it as well there's bad morale difficulty attracting troopers because of the bad morale i think the highway patrol and the kelly administration would would point to other factors saying it's just a bad time for law enforcement to be hiring in general 
I think the Troopers Association, the Troop, the Union, representing state troopers and and others, uh, I think would, would there has would, been there's actually that, been years yeah. of there have actually been years of uh, tension between the troopers and the governor's office and 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 the executive branch leaders, the governor in particular, over issues like pay and. And so that that is, you know, that has been out there for a while, and you know that's that is that is one of the things that's kind of been floating in the background here, um, and so you have this agency that you know legislators, especially Republican legislators, had a lot have had a lot of heartburn with how it's been running, and. Um, and so Kelly was under some pressure to dismiss Jones, but she stood by him. She said two internal investigations found no uh, nothing to these uh, allegations of sexual harassment. That was what she told you all in December, mm-hmm. right? Yeah, in our, our annual uh, holiday time interview. Yeah, and and you know her statement today made no mention of any of these controversies, and basically thanked uh, uh, the uh, retiring superintendent for his forty-five years of service. We should note that Herman Jones was uh, the the Shawnee County Sheriff for gosh several terms, I believe. And and I would say that I don't recall that there were any major controversies when he was the sheriff. And we should say that that time overlapped when Laura Kelly was a state senator representing yes. uh, Represent, Northern Shawnee County. Representing Northern Shawnee County. So they, they knew each other probably pretty well. Um, and, and we should also note that, uh, that uh, Herman Jones denies the allegations yes. of and he and he says his retirement was unrelated to any of right. this and he just it basically he's he wants to spend more time I, with family and- i think i think legislators based on you know what we know from what they've been saying is i i they're they're going to be looking for some changes in the agency they're going to want to see that the morale of the troopers gets better you know they're going to want to get to the bottom of the the allegations, the merits of the allegations against uh, Herman Jones. And that case actually goes to trial in September or is scheduled to anyway. There have been a lot of delays, so it would yeah. surprise me if it didn't actually go to trial. So. Well, and, and now that you know Jones is out as superintendent, will there be an incentive for him to settle it and, you know... Move on. I don't know. I mean, these are, in theory, these are pretty serious allegations and could do him some reputation. I mean, obviously some reputational damage is involved. So I don't know that he would want to settle. He might feel like he wants it to go to trial to get vindication or something. I don't know. I am chatted up his lawyers. So we'll, we'll see what he does with it. Proof that even in the interim, there's rarely a slow news week. Well, I mean, the legislature leaves town, but government goes on. That's true. Very true. Yeah, I'm always, uh, Andrew, I'm always amused when uh, people just, when you talk to folks, the legislative session is over, and they're, well, you're going to be bored now. Well, no, not exactly. Never a dull moment in Kansas. Never a dull moment in, in 
Kansas with its great dome of sky. If you want to read about everything going on under that great dome of sky, you do. You can go to cjonline.com. You can follow us on Twitter at cjonline, uh, Instagram, and Facebook. Go like us there. And John, where can they find your work? Well, they can find my work at www.apnews.com backslash. We're doing the hand movement, Kansas. And I'm at APJDHanna on Twitter. I do have the the Insta web and the, the other hoo-ha social media, but I'm mainly just on Twitter. Go follow John. Face, face page and, you know, whatever they are. Is there tic? There's tic tac too, right? That's the Chinese one. Hey, you kids, get go off find my him, lawn. Go fire him. Go find him on MySpace too. Yeah, MySpace. Uh, uh, <laughs> Flickr. Flickr. Is there another one? There's also Reddit, right? There is Reddit. Yep. You 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 know all the social media. So can I pay for it with crypto? <laughs> Probably. <laughs> You can follow me on Twitter at uh, Andrew Ball B A H L. I do not tweet about crypto though, so neither do I, because I, you know, don't really understand it. Yeah. Oh, I, I mean, I know it's digital currency, but um, I don't really. I, I'm not a fine. So it's, it's, it's basically digital currency. That's what I know, and people are investing in it, and some people are really, really enthusiastic about it. If you want to listen to back episodes of Chilling in the State House. And of course you do. And you can send us some crypto while you're at it. Uh, find those episodes on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Play, or on cjonline.com. Should we start our own crypto? Chilling coin? Chilling coin. Chilling coin. We could, have, we could just have like, I don't know, we, we could come up with a design that would be chill. Have like all of our faces on it, and yeah, yeah, and that's an right. Ice cube or something, an ice cube, and and uh, you know, you would would you have to do anything to get it? No, you wouldn't, because it would be chill coin. Exactly, I like it. We should we should let this marinate a little bit. You know, somebody's going to hear it and <laughs> take the idea and make gazillions off it. That'll be a lawsuit for the future. Yeah, yeah. Well, John. Well, Andrew. We can't wait for Jason to get back and all aglow from yeah, his wedding good, and honeymoon. A, a, a good, good tan, tan. A good yeah. tan. You know, all relaxed, ready to tell us of his adventures in Mexico and, you know, uh, what Disney song sounded like in Spanish. <laughs> we'll have plenty to talk about next week on the podcast. Oh, uh, we do have to throw in a gratuitous Disney reference, right? Can we just say gratuitous Disney reference? Gratuitous Disney reference? Right. Mickey Mouse, Donald Duck, Scrooge McDuck. There you go. We've had our <laughs> we, we clearly missed Jason. But yes. tune back in next week for a full-throated Disney reference. And in the meantime, stay chill out there, folks. Yes. <laughs>